I usually wait till that to come in. <laughs> Welcome to Small Business Update Thursday, three o'clock somewhere. I'm just kidding. We're taping this now. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure it's three o'clock somewhere. It's gotta be. I just don't know where. I assume somewhere in Europe. But if you're watching this, you're watching it on YouTube. If you're listening to it, you're listening to it on podcast. I haven't figured out my lighting here. I'm in Mexico. Adam is actually at Radix Law, I think. You're actually at Radix Law, right? You're not lying like I am? Right. No, this is our international show. You're in Mexico. I'm in, you know, the United States. So we have a, just a ton of legal stuff to talk about today. Um, we're going to talk a little bit about um, the eviction ban, the federal now eviction ban. Um, talk about a few other things, including the deferral of employee side um, FICA tax, or at least the option for employers to do that. We're going to talk about business interruption insurance. Um, we're going to talk a little bit about Mexico. We're going to talk about Arizona. We're just going to talk about Mexico because I'm here. And sports. Yeah, and we're going to talk about sports. Let's start with sports where we always start and where we should always start because today, big news, if you are an NBA fan, Steve Nash, former Suns great MVP, Hall of Famer, has just been named coach of the Brooklyn Nets. So this is very exciting, especially for my kids. Um, you know, it's interesting, like – Whenever you, uh, I guess, grow up in a, in, a, in a town, you always like look at the glory days, even if they're before when you were around. And that's my kids. So they're just huge, huge Steve Nash fans. Um, those were good days. They, those were good days. But these are good days too. So I am looking forward to the Suns and Monty Williams taking on the Nets and Steve Nash. I mean, he's got a good team. Yeah. Know? You know, Kevin yeah. Durant, sir, Kyrie Irving. Everybody and stays healthy. They have a really good team. They got something. And uh, so we'll, 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 we'll kind of wish him very, very good luck. Um, you know, this is my other podcast. You know, I do a basketball podcast with my kids. It's Father <laughs> and Sons. And what's interesting about Father and Sons is that, you know, we have about the same number of listeners as this silly thing. <laughs> But I don't talk about law to start that. I think that would be a great twist. Maybe. Maybe. All uh, right. We got, we got, we, now we do our roster of people who have it. The Rock and his family. You know, fun fact about The Rock, I actually have been to one WWE event in my life. My buddy for his 30th birthday really wanted to go to Madison Square Garden and see the Sunday show, which at the time was called Raw. I don't know what it is anymore, but maybe it's still Raw. And I, I saw The Rock, I think that was like 2000. Um, turns out a lot of fun. Have you ever been to a WWE event? No, I mean, I've watched it on TV, but I haven't been in person. Yeah, it's, it's pretty amazing. Um, you know, my last event prior to this was Lucha Libre here in Mexico. <laughs> So I'm pretty much a huge fan of the wrestling. <laughs> I was on TV. I was on Mexican cable TV. It's good cheering. Yeah. They really, they really liked my enthusiasm. Um, but it goes on. So uh, Neymar has tested positive. You know who Neymar is? 
Heard the name. Yeah, very famous kind of internationally. Probably the third best soccer player in the world. Plays um, for Paris uh, Saint-Germain um, for PSG. He is uh, a great Brazilian player, but he's also known for flopping, which is faking, you know? And so there's no news on whether or not Neymar is faking the coronavirus. Flopping with the virus. Flopping with the virus. We don't know. Sure. Um, but, I, you know, I think we just list a bunch of people that have um, coronavirus now. What's really interesting to me, I don't know how you feel about this. What's really interesting to me is the fact that we have more than 1,000 people a day in the U.S. alone dying of this. And now we just kind of treat like the, it's like the new normal. Well, and I suspect that this might happen where you just, the exposure, the constant exposure, you just can't keep up a heightened level for years and years. I mean, at some point, you just inevitably relax and, you know, make the most of it. So that's what's happening here. So I am in Plaza del Carmen and I uh, lived a block away. So I'm, I'm just like a new resident of Plaza del Carmen um, from where I am now for most of the summer. So um, what's interesting is the beach has just reopened, which I didn't know. So I got here. I just thought this is kind of nice because there's nobody here, right? Well, now there's people here. Um, not so much with the masks. They're not taking temperatures when you walk into a restaurant, which is normal here. Uh, they don't disinfect your feet anymore. You know, in Latin America, they're big on disinfecting the shoes. Did you know that? I heard that. I heard that. We, we haven't caught on to that yet here in Arizona. Yeah, we don't care as much about shoe disinfectant. Um, they really kind of loosened up here too. I, I just think that there's kind of this, this trend. Uh, Colombia, by the way, had a 160-day quarantine that just ended a couple days ago. Um, they managed to have like the fifth most cases in the world. So turns out none of this works. And a lot of it's cultural, of course. Um, Europe is now back up to its March levels. So yeah, turns out we just don't care at all. That's that's our takeaway, or at least we're getting used to it. I don't know. Um, speaking of getting used to it, Trump says, go ahead, vote twice. Do not vote twice, people. This is a felony. This is not good. You know, we're business lawyers. And so when somebody's like, hey, that's a felony, we say don't commit felonies. I, I don't know. Maybe criminal lawyers feel differently. Don't, don't vote twice. Vote don't once. vote twice. Just yeah. once. You can't. It's illegal. It's a felony. <laughs> like, Zero or one. Those are your two options. Right. And chances of you getting pardoned go down if Biden wins. <laughs> All right. Let's talk a little bit about the law. So interesting. We now have a federal eviction stop through December 31st. Now, this only applies to basically everybody. You have to make the tenant has to make less than $99,000 a year, which is most people especially renters, um, and uh, you need to have tried to get federal aid and some other things. And you still owe the money. They just can't kick you out. Um, this was a rule promulgated by the CDC under its emergency power, which has all the kind of fingerprints of the Trump administration, right? I mean, they, they basically are pushing for this. Um, constitutional Adam Bach, are we allowed to do this? <laughs> Well, I mean, my biggest issue with this is we're just piling up and making it so that tenants will be evicted. I mean, like you said, the money doesn't go away. This is not waiving the uh, the rent 
So what happens is you're, you, the more months you have pile up, the bigger the amount that you have to pay off at some future date. Now, I guess there could be government interaction that says, well, you must modify the loan or modify the lease or whatever. But if, if there's no modification, at the end of this, you're going to have you know, six months worth, worth of rent payments that these people who can't afford to pay rent now have to pay. So I, I think you're just almost guaranteeing, you're solidifying that these people are going to be evicted, just not now. But there's no chance that they're going to stay, be able to stay. Long well, and even worse, you're going to have a money judgment against them. So, right. If you're buying, if you're buying into, uh, you know, bankruptcy stock, now is the time. Uh, by the way, Radix Law could be owned by non-lawyers now. So well, that's true. Yeah. So if anybody wants to invest in Radix stock, can we do that? Can we just go public? <laughs> a PPM for Radix Law. We're going to pump the IPO. Um, so the Arizona bar changed the rules first in the nation. And now law firms can be owned by non-lawyers, which, by the way, is consistent with things like surgery centers. Obviously, you have to have doctors do the procedures. Real estate companies can be owned by non-brokers. You have to have brokers there. Um, yeah, it turns out law firms could be owned by non-lawyers. Is this a good idea, Adam, or a bad idea? Well, you know, I think the, the whole point is to get creative. I think what the Arizona Supreme Court wants is for people to get together, come up with creative solutions to make legal services available to the average person. And, and right now they feel like they're too expensive and they're, they're, people aren't getting justice. So, I mean, we'll see. I'm interested to see the creativity, what people are gonna do and to see just um, if those services are good. I mean, just because they're cheap doesn't mean they're, you know, worth paying for. Yeah. And part of it, I think, is a little bit of, you know, the fact that most things are relatively easy. Relatively easy. Other times, people have complicated problems. So I suppose there's a place for all of it. And I guess if you're creative and you announce that you're going public on YouTube and podcast, <laughs> you may. All right. So, um, you know, along with kind of this, this stop, we have new rental scam. Talk to us about the rental scam. Yeah. So, you know, there's fewer and fewer people that are meeting in person and some that aren't actually even seeing the place that they want to rent. They're just doing it all remotely online. So there is potential for fraud when you don't actually have this physical interaction and scammers are taking advantage of it. And so they're, they're posting these properties for, you know, ridiculously cheap and people are shocked. And so they're so excited that the, the potential, you know, landlord, the scammer says, Hey, just uh, wire me the money or on a cash app, you know, send me 500 bucks and we'll, you know, reserve this for you. And of course you send the money and then it's a scam. And so anyway, people are losing money over this. Um, so be careful. Don't just send money to people. Generally, yeah. good rule. Um, we had a lot of questions about something that Bill Eckholm, our guest last week, talked about, which is whether or not charities would be entitled to an insurance claim for, for something that we call business interruption. Um, so, Adam, I'm going to let you be in charge because this is the law. Um, talk a little bit about what's going on with business interruption insurance, like what it is in the first place, and then, of course, how this has affected. 
All right, so we're going to talk about COVID business interruption claims. So we all know that back in March, President Trump declared a national state of emergency due to coronavirus. And we all know that certain businesses got shut down, and we've talked about that quite a bit on this show, um, non-essential businesses, and they lost a whole lot of money. So they're scrambling around. We've talked about PPP loans helping, uh, economic injury disaster loans. But what do these businesses do that have no income? Can they, how do they stay afloat? So they're turning to their business interruption insurance, which most businesses have. And it's insurance coverage that replaces business income that's lost in a disaster. Now, typically, this is, you know, a fire, flood, tornado, other types of natural disasters. But the question is, you know, does this apply in COVID? Um, does business interruption insurance cover lost income from your COVID-related closure? Obviously, policyholders think yes, and not surprisingly, insurance companies think no. Uh, one of the key provisions in these contracts is a property damage trigger. So most businesses require that. I mean, most policies require that. So that's how insurance companies are denying coverage. They're saying, look, there's no physical damage to any of your property, so you can't make a claim. And uh, so policyholders are getting creative on how to articulate damage to their property. Um, anyway, so by and large, they're getting denied. So now we've got litigation. We've got over a thousand COVID-19 related insurance coverage lawsuits across the country. These are, you know, restaurants, bar bridal retailers, dental practices, hair salons, but they're all saying this should be a covered uh, um, item in my insurance policy. I, I'm paying for this insurance and I need to recover my lost income. Now, um, so the plaintiffs are claiming they're included or that they're not expressly excluded. You know, viral infections aren't expressly included. So most policies are a little bit vague. Uh, they don't specifically address viral infections. So there's arguments to be made on both sides. Or will in the future. Yes, guarantee that they will change those in the future. You know, we kind of dealt with this with the terrorism in 2001 where we had all this litigation about whether or not uh, terrorist attacks were covered um, and so we kind of came up with the solution i suppose we're due for the pandemic solution to insurance soon or maybe people can negotiate that and you know go find it but good, good luck there'll be a, there'll be some sort of federal fund presumably for it in the future just like there is for hurricanes terrorist attacks etc yeah so what the plaintiffs are saying is the virus itself causes physical damage to their property by contaminating the surfaces and lingering in the air. So that's what they're trying to say is their physical damage. Or they're saying these executive orders are restricting access to the property, which causes physical loss by preventing the business owners from using their properties for their intended purposes. So, I mean, these are creative. Uh, courts aren't buying it by and large. Uh, they're ruling in favor of insurance companies because they're saying, look, there's no physical damage to the property. And it says right there in the policy that it has to have physical damage. 
The other interesting thing is they said in some of the cases that um, there's no evidence that COVID uh, was actually present on your property. It wasn't, you didn't test positive. So you don't know if it was there, you were just closed. And so uh, that's other problematic uh, issues with the, the claims. So now they're evolving. They're getting more creative as they learn and the courts are denying coverage. So uh, the most recent argument is that they were forced by executive order to physically alter their property, which in a sense is damaging their property because it's making it less productive and less useful. And so these required mandated changes have damaged, made, you know, caused physical damage to the property. So we'll see. The courts haven't ruled on this one, but you can see everybody's getting creative. This is a big issue uh, that involves you know, billions of dollars, but it's not looking good currently for policyholders under business interruption claims. Now we do have proposed legislation um, that uh, would force insurers to cover COVID-19 related claims despite any contrary provisions in the policies. I mean, it sounds good. Uh, unless you're an insurance company. Unless you're the insurance company. And so to, to date, uh, bills have been introduced in California, Louisiana, Massachusetts, Michigan, New Jersey, New York, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Rhode Island, South Carolina, and District of Columbia uh, to force, to require these claims to be covered, which would be nice. But not surprisingly, this uh, legislation has been stalled. Uh, there's vigorous opposition by the insurance industry, which has a powerful lobby. But they also are citing constitutional issues, and there's criticism that the legislature can't interfere with private contracts. So it doesn't look good for the legislation. It uh, doesn't look good for the courts. So, John, like you were saying, there's probably going to have to be some fund or some other creative way to compensate these businesses that have been forced to close because it's probably not going to be their business interruption insurance. I feel like we're just going to do a lot of cool constitutional issues about what the powers of government are in general. I mean, that, that obviously includes, uh, includes this, but also includes like that landlord, you know, stopping, having the CDC stop, evictions, which is a state court matter generally. Um, well, the question I have on those, you know, this eviction stay, uh, do you think this would happen if it wasn't this close to an election? Do you think this is largely political or do you think this would happen? No, this is, this is 100% political, but, but so is something else that they did. So I don't consider um, the president to be like, a, a deep strategic thinker in the sense of, you know, he, he has a certain way about him and he's very off the cuff and people who, who like him really support that. But, you know, behind him, there are a lot of people who are more strategic thinkers. And, you know, one of the things that came up with was this payroll tax deferral. So in response to the stimulus not, not passing, they said, okay, we are going to defer payroll tax for employees Okay, this is the FICA that comes out of your paycheck. And we're going to let you keep that from September through December. 
it's not constitutional for the president of the United States to forgive it, but we'll defer it. That'll put pressure on Congress to forgive it later, okay? So this was the thought process. And this way, people get a little raise right before the election and give credit to the administration. So the IRS was required to come up with the rules. The IRS was like, oh God, no, this is a real problem because how do we even do this? Like, how do we functionally do this deferral? Like, we have to change the tax forms if we do it right, where we say, okay, if you choose to defer it, and then it's putting pressure on employers. And so the IRS put all the pressure on employers. So here's what the rule is, and I want everybody to kind of understand this. If you are an employer, you have the option to allow deferral of FICA taxes. What this means is that you do not pay it over to the federal government. You leave it in the employee's paycheck through the end of the year. You are required through January through April of next year, employer to make sure it gets paid back. So this would mean theoretically withholding nothing now, withholding double for the first four months of next year, okay? It is the responsibility of the employer though. In other words, if the person leaves employment, you employer need to figure out a way to collect it from that employee to pay it back. Now there are ways to do that, but Almost every employer is declining to do this because obviously two things. One is that the financial risk is on the employer. But the second thing is obviously they don't want their employees who might enjoy the money right now to get a pay cut effectively for the beginning of next year. Um, and so I think that this was an idea that was political in nature, but in practice is probably not going to happen. Um, but it is an option starting two days ago, September 1st. We don't have all the guidance. We have a three, two and a half page IRS notice, which explains what to do, but not really. So kind of beware if you're an employer about doing this. Okay. Does that make some sort of sense, Adam? Yeah. To, to me, it seems like it's very complicated to produce a very small benefit. <laughs> like yeah. High complication, small benefit. Um, you know, if we could reverse that, find something that has high benefit with minimal complication, I think that would be better. Yeah, well, it's always better for Congress to kind of do it. By the way, $300 extra per week federal benefit um, for people in Arizona. So it's five, 540 a week. So it's effectively some, you know, some version of, you know, 1275 an hour um, for unemployment. And so that does help certain people. Who, who are unemployed. We still have 13 million less jobs than we had at the beginning of all this. Um, so I have a new game for us. What's the game? Okay. I read the headline on CNN. You guess the headline on Fox News. You ready? <laughs> CNN. Trump has already tainted the election. Trump has already tainted the election. All right, now you guess, what is the headline on Fox News right now? Trump has already tainted the election. Talking about his North Carolina statement that everybody should vote twice. Oh, um, maybe uh, Trump is promoting uh, high voting turnout or promoting... Uh, voting, voter registration. Okay, so those of you that are listening, I just put it up on the screen. Who's telling the truth 
Man who worked on Pelosi's hair tells his side of the story as salon owner denies setup. <laughs> I don't know why I find this so amusing. <laughs> we have such a messed up world. <laughs> I mean, people literally get their news from one of the two sources and it is completely, <laughs> completely different. So this Airgate. is our new, our new segment called How, That's uh, the Headline. Yeah. She, she snuck in and got her hair done. Well, yeah, although it's in dispute about whether or not it was a setup to basically bait her in there by saying one person was allowed in at a time. Well, in fact, nobody's allowed. Um, so she was that, alone. So that's in California, because that's not the same here. No. Here, go ahead, get your hair done. But in California, it's a total lockdown. Like, no, no salons can open under any circumstance. Correct. And so she was alone. She had her mask off because they had just washed her hair. John Kennedy senator from louisiana republican said there's a lot of people without water nancy pelosi i, I don't know what there's a lot of people without water meant um let's go to our standby which is john talks medical corner john john talks medicine this is the two minutes of the show where i become a doctor i want to talk a little bit about the vaccine so the cdc um had been originally targeting and talking about 60 to 70 percent efficacy for the vaccine, they've, they've determined to lower that standard to 30% e efficacy. Does that scare the heck out of you, by the way, Adam? Uh, well, I guess maybe anything's better than nothing. Maybe. By the way, that requires two shots. I don't know if this is going to work whatsoever. But I wanted to talk a little bit about seasonal flu vaccine efficacy. Um, because we get the flu vaccine, because it turns out it doesn't prevent all of the flu, but it cuts down on transmission. And for people who get it, it's usually less severe. But the seasonal flu vaccine effectiveness last year was 29%, the year before 38%, the year before 40%. And so we have a certain kind of uh, comfort level, if not confidence in the flu vaccine. And so it looks like those numbers will be sufficient for them to roll this out. There was an announcement that um, that they would begin rolling this out as early as November 1st, two days before the election. <laughs> um, there's probably going to be about 5 million doses available initially, 2 to 5 million initially. Um, they're already ramping up production of these various, um, various vaccines. McKesson, which is the big distributor of medical supplies, is in charge, has the government contract to to move these around, um, the uh, government, the federal government asked state governments to expedite the uh, you know distribution warehouses and permitting and stuff like that, so that they could get these out. Um, really interesting. They're they're obviously talking about first responders and at risk people, older people having access to it first. They also talk about racial groups and ethnic groups who have a higher likelihood of catching the virus. So we might have some sort of racial preference. For wow. vaccine first. So do you anticipate having priorities? So you have to like register online or something and they ask you a bunch of questions and they say, okay, sorry, we can't take you yet. And well, I assumed it was white privilege, but I guess not. <laughs> so uh, yeah, I think, I think there's going to be a method, but I don't think they know the method. And I wow. predict that it will be very, um, that, that it will likely be, state specific because everything else has been so who knows but we'll, we'll know soon and by soon i mean right before the election right i mean that i think that the writing is on the wall 
that we will have a vaccine that is approved somewhere around two weeks to 10 days before the election. I actually have a specific date in mind. It's October, I think, 23rd or 24th. It's the day after the last presidential debate, but it could be the same day as the last presidential debate. Hmm. What do you think of my theory? <laughs> what, the, when it comes out? Yeah. Yeah, I think it's going to be, you know, voters to appreciate it before they cast their vote. Yeah. Although now we cast votes early. So oops, I don't know. I don't know if it'll, it'll work. Um, what's interesting is obviously the numbers have moved down around a little and the election is presumably going to be close, but um, everybody's made up their mind. I guess now it's just a question of whether you vote. And how many times? Yeah, apparently. Apparently that's an option. Um, so we did a survey. So starting this week, because we're not live, we are, we are live to tape, as they say. Um, we are going to do, um, that's kind of amazing that you haven't <laughs> moved for so long. That you're like, I know. Does that happen to you? It, it's happened one office. other time. You are get, a very like calm person. I mean, um, I'm always all over the place. <laughs> so, <laughs> so we're going to do the poll. Okay. It's going to be the poll for next week will be uh, down below. So you can click the link and participate. Okay. Um, it'll also be in our weekly email. By the way, if you don't get our weekly email, you can go ahead and email us and we will add you to the list if that's what you'd like. Um, all right, first question. Will you participate in the program to defer collection of employee FICA? 90% uh, of respondents said no. Was there actually 89% of respondents said no. Um, that doesn't surprise me. That was our advice as well. Um, have you been back to the gym? Have you been back to the gym? I mean, no, I mean, I just, I work out at home anyway before covid so i'm doing what i always did but yeah my wife she's she's back okay yeah two-thirds of our respondents said no um one of the you know news stories before neymar had covid was the diamondbacks traded away all their players do you approve or disapprove um a little more than two-thirds of the respondents said wait until next year is my 2020 theme um have you eaten inside a restaurant um, about 70% of respondents said, yes, I've eaten inside a restaurant. You're still holding out, right? Or did you finally do it? No, I did go to a movie though. You did. That yeah. was one of our questions. How was that? Was it fine? Or were you uncomfortable? I was totally fine. They had blocked off. I mean, I, there weren't many people at all. They had the seats taped off. You could reserve online, just get two seats together. So I, I thought it was great. I don't know if they're making money by, you know, blocking off all those seats, but I guess that's their issue. <laughs> yeah. Um, true of restaurants as well. Has someone close to you had COVID? Um, only one person had said yes, and, and it was really bad, serious, led to death or hospitalization. Uh, the rest of the people either said yes, it wasn't serious. And we still have about 28% of people who said no, I haven't, I don't know anybody who's had it, which is interesting. Um, only 56% of people think the U.S. government will approve a vaccine prior to Election Day. Um, so I guess, you know, 44% of people think that we're doing not having an election. I don't know. But in any case, I think that that is a strong yes, but apparently the people don't agree with me. Uh, do you think housing prices will continue to rise in Arizona? They're, they're up. 
Um, what do you think about this? I don't think they're going to stay up. Uh, I think we've kind of peaked, but, but we'll 91% see. of people say Adam and John are wrong on this. Um, I agree with you, but most yeah. people disagree. Oh, so, uh, hopefully I'm wrong. I, I don't mind, you know, increased housing prices. <laughs> well, I guess, I guess that's good because you own a house. Um, all right. So we did it. We did small business update, just me and you. Um, it wasn't lonely. No. No, it was fine. No. Um, so with that being said, drop us an email, jfruitkin at radixlaw.com or buck at radixlaw.com if you have any questions about COVID-related matters. Um, we'll be back next week and kind of every week. Um, get us on YouTube or get us on either Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. So for Small Business Update, it's John Fruitkin here with Adam Bach. Have a great week. That's a wrap.